Good morning. This is Jaffe Lee, Public Information Officer and Preparedness Planner for the Florida Department of Health, and this is Flagler Health Matters. In the studio with me today, I have Rochelle Stone, who is the Students Working Against Tobacco Coordinator for CivCom. Is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us again. Yes, absolutely. And we have two guests here today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. They are members of SWAT. Is that correct? Yes. yes. My, Who wants to go first? Oh, <laughs> My name is Carly Page. I am a junior at Flagler Palm Coast High School. Welcome back, Carly. Um, my name is Emily Effort, and also a junior at FPC. Welcome, Emily. And this is your first time in the studio with us. That is correct. Yes, thank you for taking the time to be here. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about today? I know that we have some frequently asked questions that are specific to cigarette butts on the beach and uh, smoke-free beaches and parks. Do we want to start there? Yeah, so we, um, SWAT has been involved in the beach cleanups um, for a few years. Um, And these girls actually started with the um, beach cleanups with SWAT. Um, so those are the first of the month, every month, um, at nine, Saturday at 9 a.m. And we um, decided to move over to the park and start our park cleanups. Um, the beaches did go tobacco-free, which is huge. Yes. Um, um, still see cigarette butts, though. Yeah. <laughs> this weekend we went there for brunch and I saw several cigarette butts along the um, parking spaces. Is um, that what you pick up the most when you do your cleanups, you think, is, uh, is cigarette butts? I would say 90% is cigarette butts, yes. We do come across some e-cigarettes and vapes, but um, 90%, I would say, is cigarette butts, yes. And it makes me think that for all these years that you've been doing these beach cleanups, what if you weren't out there picking up the cigarette butts? How many would there be? And a big thanks to the city of Flagler Beach to working, helping work with that initiative to go tobacco-free. I mean, that was huge yeah. for our city of Flagler Beach. Um, but from what I'm reading here, cigarettes are not biodegradable. And the plastics and the toxics, uh, chemicals in cigarettes or in the filters. And, I mean, it can be even dangerous to pick them up and to see life. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, actually, one of the most, like, out of all the beach cleanups in Florida, they've done studies and cigarette butts have been the number one, like, littered object. And that's harmful to our corals. It's harmful to... You know, your dog on the beach, whatever animals on the beach. Kids on the beach, it makes me think of them, you know. Mm, mm-hmm. Not good. And what else are you finding? And are you finding the same amounts in the parks? So what about the e-cigarette trash? That's harmful as well, right? We have found a lot of cigarette buds at the parks. And also we found um, vapes and other e-cigarettes at the parks. Um, they actually contain nicotine salts, which are harmful, And the cartridges can be wasted, and also the lithium batteries in them, which can be explosive, which is pretty Yeah, that's not nice. It makes me think of the wildlife, you know, because Mm -hmm. they may pick something up and and take it to their nest like a bird and not realize what it is. So I'm sure it could be really harmful. Plus, it's just more plastic waste that we don't need. Yeah, exactly. Who's partnering with you? Is that uh, the city of Palm Coast or the county? Um, We are doing this... uh, Just the SWAT students are doing this. In fact, one of our park cleanups, we ran into um, someone from the city, and they thanked us. And, of course, they do a great job, but Mm -hmm. they just can't 
pick up every cigarette butt, yeah. um, you know, that they see, I mean, that would take up all of their time. So this is just helping them. Um, and they were very appreciative of it. Fantastic. That's awesome. Good partnership. Yeah. What about the impacts on tourism? Do you think it's a positive impact or a negative impact? What's the um, feedback been? I think not having cigarette butts at the beaches is a positive impact because, you know, you go to the beach, you want to have a nice day, you don't want to see a bunch of litter and trash. That's like the number one thing, I feel like. If I saw a bunch of cigarette butts or, you know, trash on the beach, I'd be like, eh, that's kind of gross. Yeah. And so what about shared spaces? And talking about what you were just saying, Carly, with regards to, you know, if people are littering cigarette butts and vaping, that means they're in the parks and on the beaches using tobacco and nicotine products. What kind of image does that give to young people? It gives an image of like, oh, is this the norm? And it's it shouldn't be considered the norm for a lot of, you know, younger students and kids yeah, seeing that. Absolutely. And what do you think about that, Emily? What's your opinion? Um, I totally agree with Carly because there are, like, ton of kids. I know a lot of the parks, they have soccer games. We have, like, dogs running around. Dogs can eat them, but, like, going back to how it affected the community, that kids can just see you doing it, and even their parents might be doing it, and they t- think it's fine, especially if they're just, like, throwing them on the floor. That's, like, that's littering. Mm-hmm. They just, like, it's impacting them because they're so... Yeah. Yeah. Like a disregard to where they are and and not paying attention. Because they're addicted to the nicotine, right? We've learned that tobacco companies do everything they can to get young people hooked on nicotine as early as possible. Because if they do that, they know that there's a great chance that they have them for a lifetime. So that's a lot of what the work is that SWAT does, is that educational part to young people in schools to let them know that tobacco companies are targeting them. Mm Mm-hmm. What's SWAT been up to lately? The last time I saw you, Rochelle, you were doing the event at FPC in the cafeteria, not a lab rat. Yes, yes. So what else has SWAT been doing? Yeah, so we have our next um, park cleanup, which will be March 2nd, and that's actually going to be at Wadsworth Park over by the beach. Um, So, you know, there's that skate park there. There's actually, like, a big place for dogs to go. There's soccer games there, football games so there's a lot of activity there, and, of course, there's the park as well. Um, so we're going to be doing – that's our next um, par- park cleanup, and anyone can come, you know, old, young. Yeah. Um, anyone that may be hearing this and say, you know what, I want to get involved yeah. in some way. And that's March 2nd? Yes. What time do you guys meet? Um, we're going to do it at 10 a.m. Okay, for great. For the students to a little sleep in, <laughs> yeah. a little bit on their Saturdays. Because we do appreciate, I mean, these two girls have been coming to park cleanups at 9 a.m. for so long. And that just means a lot for students to come on their Saturday at 9 a.m. Right. to pick up. And we are separating the cigarette buds. Um, and we will be collecting them and putting them in a jar um, just to show our leaders and local government um, you know, how many cigarettes we are actually picking up um, and what a difference that makes. That's um, a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. A good visual. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, because what do you do with a bunch of cigarette butts that you pick up? I mean, what do you, you just throw them out in a bigger bag? Yeah. 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 But that's a great idea. That's a, a strong visual to show what your initiative is and how mm-hmm. the effort is, is making a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else does SWAT have going on? 
Recently, we we visited Tallahassee, and we spoke to some of our legislators and groups. Um, It was a great opportunity to be able to talk to people about the dangers of drugs and tobacco. No way. That's awesome. Yeah, we got to speak to one of the Senate – or no, the House of Representatives members and stuff like that. So it was pretty cool to just be involved in that, have that opportunity. I'm very grateful. How'd it go? Did you practice a whole lot or – Yes, we did. We were, like, in the hallways, like, going over, like, what we were going to say. We were, like, not nervous, but we wanted to have all the information correct, so we weren't, like, stuttering our way through sure. talking to, like, important Absolutely. people. How did they respond? Um, A lot of them were interested. A lot of them sat down, and some of them actually, or one of them actually was taking notes, so that was nice to hear. Um, I think it personally went great, so. That's great. What a big resume booster, too. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So students working against tobacco, for anyone who's listening, and these are the type of things that the SWAT students do. They get to go to Tallahassee and, and speak at the mm-hmm. House of Representatives on change. It's mm-hmm. fabulous. Any health fairs or anything that you're involved with? Let's say somebody's listening and they want to sign up for SWAT or be there in attendance at something you have coming up. Um, yeah, so we are doing... Um, the Junior Chamber is putting on a health fair um, on February 24th, um, and that's at Buddy Taylor Middle School. So, yeah, so our, these two girls will be there, and we'll have a sign-up table. Um, of course, we'll also have brochures on the dangers of vaping, um, you know, and all the dangers that comes with even secondhand smoke um, yeah. and all that SWAT's doing. And, yes, they'll be able to... Um, register for SWAT. It starts middle school, high school. Um, so, yeah, we just want to get our name out there and um, more students because these girls are going to be seniors next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got to start recruiting. It's went by so quickly, just high school in general. Like, you'd yeah. be surprised, you know, just one day you wake up and you're already a junior and they're like, oh, my goodness. So have you been with Miss Stone since you were a freshman? Yes, yeah. I've been with Miss Stone since about, like, November freshman year. So I've been in SWAT for, like, three years almost. And what's your plans? What about you, Emily? How long? Oh, I've been in since my sophomore year because Carly was like, hey. <laughs> like She knew my sister, and we just went to the meetings, and we haven't left since. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so in closing, um, what are your plans for next year? Have you guys started thinking about it besides recruiting? <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to get um, another Emily and Carly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm super proud of these two girls. They have been amazing for the SWAT um, club and I just am super proud of them and I actually started my first year when Carly first came on so that's oh, pretty cool that is that's yeah awesome. so yeah recruitment is huge for us um just because you know these girls are our voices yeah um so just like they said with Tallahassee um they make a huge impact yeah um yeah so SWAT if you are listening um definitely i'll be at the back to school jam as well that's you know where i get a lot of signups as Mm -hmm. well so Mm -hmm. yeah and the community service hours that are provided through swat and tobacco free flagler partnership is just immense so anybody that ever needs community service hours because from Mm -hmm. what i remember it's 75 i think um, at least, right? Yeah. So it's a great way to get those community service hours in. Well, yeah. thank you for being here today, mm-hmm. and I look forward to more conversations into your senior year, if not sooner, because we know that this is a big topic. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. us.
Florida Department of Health Flagler wants you to know that your Flagler school student is eligible for a no-cost eye exam and no-cost glasses if eligible in partnership with Florida Hiken Children's Vision Program, LLC. This annual no-cost eye exam is offered to every Flagler County school student who qualifies to participate. Parents and guardians of students pre-K through grade 12 can apply now by visiting www.floridahiken.org. That is spelled H-E-I-K-E-N. Registration is required. The statewide Florida Hiken Children's Vision Program mission is to ensure that all school-age children who do not pass their vision screening have access to a comprehensive eye examination, including dilation and glasses if required, to give them the best chance at academic success. These no-cost services are offered statewide. And the Florida Department of Health Flagler, in partnership with Flagler Schools, is proud to bring this program to you. Apply now by visiting www.floridahiken.org or call 386-313-7069 for more information. Dear Miami Lighthouse Hiking Children's Vision Program, I am so glad you gave me these glasses. I can see better now. Now I can copy from the board without making any mistakes. I can see very clearly with the glasses. Thank you. Celeste Edmonds is the executive director of the Christmas Box International, an organization that has provided more than 145,000 children a safe and nurturing environment as they begin to navigate the child welfare system. Celeste is a passionate advocate for children's welfare, dedicating her life to supporting those who have experienced hardship. She is here on the line with me today to talk about her book, Garbage Bag Girl. Welcome, Celeste. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for being here. What does the title refer to? And are you the garbage bag girl? Um, so garbage bag girl really started with, um, you know, my experience that happened in child welfare. So yes, it is me. It's my memoir. Um, and it was, it was a time when I was being moved from place to place about every six months, and all of my stuff would go with me in a large black garbage sack. And I ended up keeping the same black garbage sack because I, in my in my brain, it was something I got to own, and I didn't want to, you know, throw it away and have it changed out. It was just kind of this odd concept in my brain that it got to be the one thing that I was able to keep that was mine, that belonged to me. Um, when everything else didn't. So it started there, and then what has happened is it's really evolved into the mindset more than anything that we we take on um, in general when transitions that are very disruptive like that happen continually or you're being continually reminded that you're just lucky because you're an older child and nobody really wants older children anyway, so you should just feel fortunate to get what you get and get whatever home that you get. And so it just, it kind of transitioned into that where it's just about that mindset that we turn in, turn ourselves to when we're in trauma or we're, you know, we're not working through situations and we're constantly being put into chaos. And what happens is we don't feel loved. And so ultimately we're not 
you know, loving ourselves. And then that leads to, you know, many bad choices that we make in our life and bad decisions that we make. So that's kind of how it's evolved. And you survived some horrendous things, yet today you are the director of a charity that has helped tens of thousands of children. Why do you think you turned out well while many others don't? I think I have some pretty unique opportunities that I've discovered. Um, One, when I started writing my book, I had a really incredible opportunity to interview some of my biological family members, and one of them was my aunt, my father's sister. And she described to me this, the time during the first 18 months of my life where I lived with her and her parents. So she really took care of me during that time. And even though she was only in high school, she remembers, you know, basically shuffling me around to all the places she went and driving me places and getting up with me at night and feeding me my bottle. And so I really think, you know, now that I know what brain development looks like in children in the first year, it's really when we learn to mostly attach to other people. And, you know, there's a lot of research now that talks about that and why there's a a lot of emphasis um, on, you know, touch and, and, body-to-body, you know, stuff that happens with parents and, and, and an infant when they're first born. That was, you know, not as not as researched and not as common 40 years ago. And um, I was fortunate to have that bonding with my aunt, and my siblings didn't because when, by the time my mom, my biological mom was pregnant with my sister when I was 18, we moved into our own place, and I believe that's really when a lot of abuse started happening in terms of abusing drugs and alcohol and substance abuse. And that's, you know, what ended up perpetuating certainly what happened to me in my life. And so my siblings didn't, didn't have that same nurturing. And I think that was a big part of their development. I also feel like, um, or also know that we were all born addicted to something because my mom used um, different substances when she was pregnant. And I was the first child, so mine was a, a little more mild. And then my sister my um, was second, and she had a little bit more severity. And then by the time my little brother was born, who's seven years younger than me, he almost died. And so I talk in the book about my sister and I sneaking into the ICU to be able to see him in the incubator. We weren't sure if he was going to make it. And much of that is carried with him into his life, um, which is one reason I, I'm no longer able to have a relationship with him. He's he's very much got an addict mentality, and that creates a lot of you know issues in our relationship. They're not healthy for me, but so yeah, I think I think from those standpoints, that's certainly why for the difference between me and my siblings, I think in general, kids in child welfare. Um, that can very much vary on the experiences they had before they were removed. Did they have affection that they can relate to? You know, did they feel loved or have they never felt loved? I did. Ironically, my parents were addicts, but my father told me very often that he loved me and that he was proud of me and that I would be successful one day 
Um, he he was definitely a big fan and a big advocate for me at a very young age. And I don't know that, you know, a lot of kids have that. The irony is then I go into child welfare and I live in, in these homes and then get a, adopted by an abusive family whose mother, complete, the mother completely hated me, did not want me there. I was a Christmas gift for her daughter because she couldn't have any more children. Mm. And she her daughter really wanted a sister. But there was, it was very clear and uh, that I wasn't wanted. And so, but there was no substance abuse in that home. That was, it was a very interesting shift for me from I, that I could at least remember a time, even in the hardest of times later, when I had that, when I had that love. You know, your story just is is so, it just touches my heart. And I know that our listeners are going to be able to um, relate in some way or another. But the angle that you're taking on this is is so different from what I've thought about in the past in terms of, you know, being a young baby and how you're affected by touch. And if you have somebody there that cares for you and how that can carry on through your life. Um, And it's just, it's honoring to know that you're willing to share this with everyone in the world through your book. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a big decision to to decide to be that vulnerable, right? And write Mm -hmm. about some of the stuff that I wrote about. Yes. Um, Because I wasn't sure I was going to in Mm -hmm. the beginning. When I made the tough decision to write it at all, I was not thinking I would share a few things in the book because I never even had talked about them to anybody. Mm. And so... I thought, my gosh, you know, people are going to read it that I wasn't worried about someone I didn't know reading it. I was worried about people who know me Mm. and especially my own children reading it and really getting that, you know, deep dive into that graphic content about what happened to me when they care so much about me and how would that really affect them and maybe our relationship. Yeah. I was very hesitant to do that at first. But then I realized, um, especially in working with my own trauma therapist, that to be very authentic and vulnerable and as real as you possibly can, that that would be necessary. If I was really trying to give insight into what it looks like, feels like, for some children that are in the child welfare system that have very similar experiences to me, then I would have to be all in. And you know, that also included me being willing to write about the bullying chapter where I am the bully. I didn't just get bullied. I became that person. And that was single-handedly next to the chapter about saying goodbye to my father, the most difficult chapter for me to write. It's really difficult to admit to people that, and to yourself mostly, that maybe you were that person at that time, justifiably or not. It, it's still, you know, it, it's an extremely painful time. Um, but I wanted I wanted people to know me. If they're going to know me, then they really have to know, you know, all of me that way. And that was part of it. So it's why I really decided to kind of step up and make sure that I was going to be all in. Yes. And my guest on the show today is Celeste Edmonds. She is the author of the book Garbage Bag Girl. Um, my last question for you is uh, an important one. What would you like those whose job it is to protect children to learn from your book? So being in the nonprofit sector now, I, I first off, 
recognize, and I'm very grateful for people that do that work. I, I can't even imagine being a social worker today and how hard that would be. And the decisions that are placed on you are very difficult. Um, but with that said, I also feel like when you create a system, and children aren't supposed to be raised in systems. They're supposed to be raised by people and communities and villages. And so I think when you have a system that has half a million children in the foster care system nationwide, those are, those are numbers. Those are, right? Those are a yeah. lot of kids that become a number by just nature of what's happening. And I like to constantly remind everyone that they're not that. They still are children and it's not their fault that they came into this situation and they're still looking for the same things other children are looking for. And even though, yes, it's a complicated system, please pause and take time to show them the things that they're still looking for, empathy and love and encouragement and no excuses to not succeed. So that's, that's ultimately, you know, my message to people that are helping with, with the system process part of things. This book is going to make a difference to so many people that need to hear this information. I just, I want to ask one more question because you co-wrote this book with the best-selling author Richard Paul Evans, who has 46 New York Times bestsellers and eight movies. How did this collaboration come about? So when I started working for him 30 years ago, uh, right after he wrote the little green book called The Christmas Box, which is how our nonprofit took its name, um, he asked me when I was his personal assistant if I would consider writing my story. Mm. And I was very, very young, early 20s, and I I knew I just didn't have the capacity to be able to manage that. And so he ended up writing my story, the fictional version of my story, in a book called Finding Noel that did really well. And it was kind of my first exposure into what, you know, dipping my toe into the water might feel like with that. And... Then when I took on the role as executive director three years ago of our nonprofit, he brought it up again. And I spent a year really thinking through some of the stuff we talked about earlier, you know, Mm. how do I feel about somebody reading it? And I decided I would write it. And it took me two years to write it. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I needed someone like him that I had a 30-year friendship with um, that would one be very tender with the vulnerability I was willing to share and also as a very established author he would know how to help me take a clunky um, uncomfortable situation and make it readable for people that was a gap for me because I was so in it Um, and so he I'm very blessed to have him in my court for sure Celeste, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us today. Celeste Edmonds, author of the book Garbage Bag Girl. This is such um, a compelling story. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is Jaffe Lee saying have a great weekend and thank you so much for listening. Are you looking for a new career that will offer growth, learning, and the ability to help your local community? Look no further than the Florida Department of Health Flagler in Benel. We are hiring. Working for the state of Florida is more than a paycheck. 
We offer a total compensation package for employees that features a highly competitive set of benefits for qualifying jobs, including annual leave and sick leave, nine paid holidays, state group insurance coverage options, including health, life, dental, and vision, retirement plan options, including employer contributions, tuition waivers, flexible spending accounts, and more. Are you looking for a job in the dental field? We're hiring. Are you looking for a job in the business sector? We're hiring. Our positions start above the current minimum wage. Go to jobs.myflorida.com and search for jobs today using Benell or 32110. Again, that's jobs.myflorida.com and find your Florida Department of Health Flagler job today.